0: I'd like to welcome you guys to this year's Independent Contractor Benchmark and Conference Call. Where we'll be joined here by Todd Amon, who's the President and CEO here at ATPS. Um, every year here we track and analyze data for over 20,000 owner-operators um, and identify key metrics including our, our, the pay trends, the fixed and variable costs and a whole bunch more that we'll go over with you in just a second here. Uh, This conference call will highlight these trends and give owner-operators a better sense of the current economic environment um, throughout 2016 um, in the industry. So Todd, hey, thanks for being here, man. Um, Before we get into last year's data, I want to spend a minute talking about how we look at the owner-operator community. Um, You know, Todd, we break up that population into three segments. Why don't you take a moment and tell our listeners how those are
1: defined? Hey Lee and everybody else on the phone good morning we appreciate you all being here and uh, look forward to talking through a bunch of this information and data today and uh, Lee I I love uh, kind of starting off with this question because uh, last year you know we realized we get asked by a lot of different industry folks Uh, people often think of us as the industry experts from our operators and you know that we're the ones that deal with them and talk to them every day and so they ask us a lot of questions about them and so we spent some time last year really thinking about the owner operator market because you know we realize as we operate our business that all owner operators are created different you know they're not just put in one big pile and think of them all the same way and so we really kind of started segmenting out the uh, owner operators in the industry and thinking about them different ways and in the things that they do and the ways that they go about making money and so for those of you on the phone, I think it helps maybe just to describe a little bit about how we kind of think of you uh, in the industry and how you fit in. And and we came up with three classifications, as you said, Lee, uh, Pioneer, Hired Gun, and Lone Ranger. And I just kind of want to talk through all those three because my guess is one of those three will resonate with you uh, folks on the phone. So we think about the pioneers which is where ATBS has spent a big chunk of our history working with owner operators and and that's really kind of that initial phase of becoming an owner operator going from being company driver to going out and getting your first truck and whatever way you go about doing that. And typically for most owner-operators that's through a lease purchase program with a fleet that's the lowest barrier to entry the lowest money if if any money down and and so that's the way be, people typically become owner-operators and and I love the definition of pioneer because when you just you know think of pioneer you've got that image of the covered wagon back in the 1800s heading from the East Coast to the West Coast and that you know family who's loaded up in that covered wagon with a dream of going out and settling their own plot of land and you know growing their vegetables and and setting out for a new life and that's really what a lot of owner operators do early in their career they're pioneers you know heading out in the world to to kind of make a different living than they have as a company driver in the past um... you know as we all know the failure rate was real high for pioneers back in the early days a lot of bad things happened to those covered wagons you had bad weather and you didn't know the terrain and and a lot of them didn't make it out west, and, and they failed doing that. And there's a similar case with a lot of pioneers in our industry, folks that transition from company driver to owner-operator. It's not an easy thing to do, but, you know, it's one of the things we do here at ATBS really well is help folks make that transition. So, you know, once you've done that and you've kind of, you know, made it uh, as an owner-operator and started making a living and, and gotten that transition down and realize you got to pay your own taxes and take care of some of that business stuff, the next step traditionally in the life of a lot of those folks is you know they want to own their own truck. They don't want to be tied down to a lease purchase program. So they may go through a few cycles of lease purchase and save up some money and at some point they go out and make a down payment on their own truck and they actually get the title of that truck. Or it often happens where folks will make it through a lease purchase cycle and you know pay off the truck in the lease purchase. So, so the Lone Ranger, the definition is someone that actually gets their own truck and has the title to their truck whether they have debt on it or not. Um, It's truly their own truck and they can do what they want with it. We call them hired guns um, in that case simply because the hired gun is the person that's got their own truck and uh, they like having their own truck because they can make their own decisions but at the same time they like the convenience and uh, the safety of being under a fleet umbrella and so they'll still run their own truck under one of those fleets. And the third case, uh, we like to call the Lone Ranger. And Lone Ranger, again, is a very descriptive name because it's someone that's out there doing this on their own. So they've taken the final step of going out, getting their own authority, buying their own trailer, getting their own cargo insurance, booking their own loads, collecting, and doing everything else. So they're running their own you know, little truck line. So again, we kind of break the, the segments down into thirds, Pioneer, Hired Gun, and Lone Ranger. Those first two, the Pioneer and the Hired Gun, uh, remember, those are leased onto fleets, uh, but the third category of Lone Rangers are out there doing it on their own, and just for a little bit more definition, about two-thirds of the industry runs under those first two categories being leased to fleets. The Pioneers and the Hired Guns are leased on to motor carriers and running for them. So there's about 120,000 of those guys out there, guys and gals, and there's about 60,000 out there that are operating as lone rangers. And so again, just it really helps to put some definition around how folks are operating their business when we think about kind of some of the trends in the data we're going to talk about today. Just kind of wanted to lay the groundwork with that. And the last thing I want to say is, you know, as we segmented those uh, populations and really looked at them, when we looked at our own business, you know, we realized that for, for really kind of the history of our business kind of being built around that Pioneer, we had really kind of built a one-size-fits-all service um, for a lot of those lease-purchase Pioneer kind of drivers. And and we certainly serve a lot of hired guns and lone rangers uh, with that service. But we also realized there's other needs. Like a lot of those lone rangers, they need payroll done because they might have multiple trucks. And they might need to incorporate, they might want to create an LLC or an S Corp. You know, on the flip side, some of those hired guns might simply want a tax return done. So we kind of broadened our services last year and, and branched out and built a lot of different service and product offerings to really help fit any owner operator where they are in their lifestyle uh, and, and their life cycle going through their business. And and so before we get too far, I don't want this to sound like a paid advertisement, but we've got a ton of advertise a, a ton of information on our website if you hear some stuff today that you like and, and you want to learn more, feel free to go to ATBS.com or you can even give us a call and one of our consultants here can help you. The phone number is 866-920-2827. So sorry for the long-winded answer, Lee, but I think it's a great question to lay the groundwork.
0: No, I appreciate it, Todd. Thanks, man. All right, are you ready to get into the data?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: So I know there's a, an industry barometer that you always go to first. It's that spot market index that Morgan Stanley puts together and it gives you a great macroeconomic view of the industry. So talk to us a little bit about this and let us, tell us what it was saying last year and how it changed so far early this year in 2017.
1: Yeah, so I like really starting out at a high level, kind of at the 40,000-foot level. and looking at the global economy, you know, in the U.S. uh, before we get into the specific owner-operator data. And, you know, for us in, in our business, Most of you are probably like us. You watch the news at some point or you listen to it on the radios or driving down the road and and you try and make sense occasionally of what's going on in the economy because it affects you as an owner-operator in your business. And so, you know, when you hear all the things that you hear today, we're we're just uh, inundated with data. There is so much information out there. And you hear people talking about housing starts and you hear people talking about how many cars are being manufactured, and what's the unemployment rate, and what's the GDP, and all those kinds of things are supposed to give us good information about what's going on with the economy. And really what I find these days is there's so much information that nobody can make sense of it all. If you asked half the people in the United States today if we're going into a recession or if we're going into boom times, you'd get you'd get a different answer from everybody. I feel like half the people I talk to think things are great and half of them think we're heading into the worst recession we've ever had. So. You know, for us at ATBS, we have to try and translate that information to, you know, what the drivers that we consult with and work with uh, are going to be facing. And so, I really like the Morgan Stanley index because it comes out every single month, and it's, you know, Morgan Stanley is a Wall Street firm, so it's looking at a lot of that big data information. Uh, but they kind of boil it down to some really specific trucking information, and it's really a, a truck supply data curve that they look at, and they average the last seven years and so as we look at that Morgan Stanley data on a monthly basis really what it's told us is what everybody on the phone knows the last 18 to almost 20 months of trucking have been pretty crappy it's been tough out there in all segments of the industry there's not been enough freight there's been too many trucks and that has meant things have been pretty difficult you know we started to see a glimmer of hope at the end of last year and the indexes for the dry reefer and flat all popped up a little bit in January was decent but then they dropped off again in February so you know, I, I guess the the only good news is we have a place that at least gels some of that really uh, overwhelming data and tells us some specific things about trucking. All right,
0: great. So not encouraging for 2016. We've seen a little bit of an uptick in 2017. Let's talk about a couple other data sources. Now, Truckstop.com has a broker load index um, versus tr- uh, excuse me, broker load versus truck index that monitors freight imbalances in the industry. Talk to us a little bit about that and what it's showing right now.
1: Yeah, um, I'd love to, Lee. And I'd say I think if you put me in a cave and you were going to give me one piece of data to tell me about trucking, this would be the piece of information I'd ask for. Over the years, it's become my favorite piece of information, you know, for a few reasons. And uh, one is you can dive really deep. Uh, The the Truckstop.com folks publish their uh, newsletter on a weekly basis, and so. If you're a subscriber to it, and you know, I would say if you're a lone ranger, uh, you absolutely should be a subscriber to it because you need to understand in depth everything that's going on in there. If you're a pioneer, you're a hired gun, you know, a lot of that information is already taken into account by the fleet that you're leased for. So maybe it's not as important to you, but the thing that I love about this index is it comes out every single week. So it's not something I gotta look a month or six months in the rearview mirror and try and figure out what's happening. It's a real time every single week index um, to tell us what's happening in trucking. and So the other thing that I love is it'll tell us about specific segments of the industry, dry reef or flat, it'll tell us about regions of the industry, we can figure out if rates are going up and down in the southeast or up in the northwest or those kinds of things. It really kind of helps track what's happening. It's the largest source of data uh, on the internet for loads posted and trucks looking for loads. And, and so really at the end of the day what this index is is a ratio of the number of loads that are posted every single day Uh, by shippers looking to move loads, and the number of trucks that are out there on the internet, truck stop, load board, looking for loads. So that creates a ratio, and I've come to learn really over the last 10 years, paying attention to this index, that in my mind, a 12 is a break-even number. If we're at a ratio of 12, things are okay in the trucking business. If we're above that, things are good for truckers. If we're below that, things are not good for truckers. And so let me give you some kind of specific examples as this index has stood the test of time for me over the last 10 years. When we were back in the recession years, 2008, 2009, this index got as low as a three. That means that there were three loads posted to the internet for every truck on the internet looking for a load. That's a horrible ratio, and that meant things were really, really tough for truckers. On the flip side, when we got into 2014, kind of in the summer months, you know, really one of the best years in trucking in the history of trucking in 2014, that ratio got as high as a 30, and you know that told us things were great. There were 30 loads out there for every truck looking for a load. There was a lot of choice. That meant rates were going up, and things were really good for truckers. So, you know, the immediate good news for me is that that ratio—it comes out every every Monday—and so two days ago, that ratio was at a 26. Uh, when you think about a 26 and you heard me say 2014 we were at a 30 that's a really really good number and the good news is you'll see that number jump around it can spike a little bit depending on what's going on in trucking like at the end of the quarter it'll spike because freights get moved off of docks you know we've got lent going on and lent can mess with it you got chinese new year's all those kinds of things can mess with that ratio so you know every single week you can't say hey, it's a great number because it can fall off but the good news is that ratio has steadily risen for the last five weeks in a row and it's been over twenty six for the last two weeks so you know I can tell you having been a disciple of this ratio it really feels to me like we're hitting a strong freight trend and things are picking up and things are looking good for trucking
0: all right great news so Todd you made a whole bunch of predictions last year on the same call how'd you do
1: Lee I appreciate you asking me that question um really truly mostly because we're accountable here at ATBS, and we like to be held accountable for the things that we talk to our clients about and you know, I hate nothing more than weathermen and economists that make a bunch of predictions and then they're wrong and nobody ever holds them accountable to it. So so thanks for asking and, and I'll kind of run through what we talked about on this call last year and what we were looking forward to when you know we thought it was gonna happen in twenty sixteen. Uh, I'll start off by talking a little bit about uh, miles and really we made four core predictions last year. And I'd have to say that we batted about five hundred, we got fifty percent of them right. And so let me start off with one of them that we missed. And we predicted last year that as ELDs became the law of the land and they started getting implemented and we thought it would be kind of a slow implementation over time, we thought that would pull miles down for our operators. And at the same time, we knew we were in a fairly soft economy last year. And so we thought that, you know, miles would be down for owner operators through 2016 and I can tell you that we were absolutely wrong um, we saw the trend go the other way and I know we'll get into some specific numbers but the miles were actually up for owner-operators last year so so we missed that one we got it wrong um, the second prediction that I made last year was that net income would be kind of flat to down because we knew it was going to be a difficult year the economy wasn't looking great and so we thought owner-operators would struggle a bit And we got that one right uh, net income unfortunately was down a bit for owner-operators and I know we'll get into some specific numbers around that the third thing that we predicted uh, was that some of the fragmented capacity, uh, w- which really means that you know of the hundreds of folks that are on the line as independent contractors, our industry, uh, if any of you heard you know some big news this week, Knight and Swift are merging, and they're going to create a six billion dollars motor carrier. And that is going to be the largest truckload carrier in North America. When you think about that, that's a six billion dollar company. And we are almost a $1 trillion industry. So even though they're going to have almost 23,000 trucks between them, they're still a super, super small part of the industry. Um, What we really kind of thought would happen, and we're going to get more in detail to this with the ELD mandate, is it's going to force some consolidation. We're going to start seeing some, some of the fragmentation our industry consolidate. We did start to see some of that last year, so we're going to call ourselves... You know right on that prediction and we're going to see more of that this year and we'll talk more about it. The fourth thing that we predicted last year was that rates were going to go up and we said by 2017 we thought rates would go up by 10% and and I'd call us wrong in that prediction because rates definitely didn't go up last year as we had a soft economy but really we were wrong we weren't necessarily wrong we were just early and so we're going to talk in more detail about that so uh two out of the four, you know, we got right. The other two we were close.
0: All right, Todd, uh, thanks. We'll uh we'll discuss your success rate on your year-end your performance review. Uh, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> well let's start talking about some of the data. Hey, can you start by telling us more about how we get after the data and what the methodology
1: is that we use? Yeah, you bet. Um and and uh, I think it's important to describe this because we've got a lot of folks on the line today and my guess we've got a lot of drivers that don't even know who ATBS is or a lot about what we do. And so we realized kind of early in you know our business, going back 14, 15 years ago, that we were doing a lot of profit and loss statements for owner-operators. Um, and as we started realizing that, rather than just give the owner-operator a profit and loss statement every month. We decided that it would be really useful if we could start comparing them to other drivers like them. And so not just knowing whether you, you know, drove enough miles and made money or lost money last month, but how are you doing to guys like you in your own business? Are you doing better or worse for them in different places of your business? And, and so we really started taking this data and dissecting it on a monthly basis so that we could give better information to our clients and to the industry as a whole. And, you know, it's really been a fun project. It evolves and every single year we get better at doing it. But, you know, really to understand kind of the nuts and bolts and core of it, what we do is take all of our drivers, you know, roughly 20,000 folks a year that we do profit and loss statements for. And when you think about how they run their business, they're all different. Um, they all di- drive in different segments. Some are reefers, some dry, some flat. Some do port hauling, some do drayage, some do oil field. You know, some do gravel so they're all very different businesses but at the end of the day their businesses are very similar they generate revenue and they op- they have expenses to do that and then they have income and and I like to, you know, say we've got this big giant blender in Denver that we dump all that information into, and we can make all those businesses look the same because, because they're similar in the way they operate. So we wipe out the top 10% and the bottom 10% because we don't want the data skewed high or low. If we've got a bunch of teams at the top end or we've got a bunch of, you know, rookie drivers that just got in the business on the bottom end, we want to really look at kind of the core 80%. And, and so that's really where the data comes from. As we start talking about the numbers, it's important to understand that we've done this consistently for 14 years. And, and so the data, you know, on a trend line basis is very consistent.
0: Great. Great. So as we've been talking over the past year or so, miles driven was probably one of the biggest trends that we saw moving over 2016. Um, let's get in a little bit to what happened in total, as well as to the major segments in the industry as well.
1: Yeah, you bet, Lee. So as I said a little bit ago, this was one of the surprises for us last year. We were thinking that um, we've been on a 14-year downtrend with a couple of hiccups in there of miles going down, and we just kind of assumed, especially with soft freight and the LD coming in, that that was going to continue in 2016, you know, kind of to our shocking about halfway through the year when we started seeing year-over-year comparisons, we started seeing miles going up. Uh, I can tell you that the average owner-operator actually ran 1% more miles last year than they did in 2015. So the average owner-operator ran about 110,000 miles last year, specifically 110,740 miles. You know, We think that there are a couple of specific reasons that miles were up last year, <clears throat> and we really learned this from the recession back in 2008-2009 um, when we saw miles go up back in those days. What happens with owner-operators when things get tough and we have a recession or a slow economy is we see Miles jump because owner-operators are the aggressive people versus company drivers in the industry. They've got fixed payments. They still have truck payments to make, they've got home bills to pay, mortgages and those kinds of things. And so when things get tough, they get tough and they work a bit harder. Another reason that we think that Miles went up last year is as owner-operators want to work harder and they're out there doing more things. Um, and looking for more freight, you know, fuel was down, and it was reasonable last year. It had come down by, uh, you know, from 4 bucks a gallon to 2 a gallon. And so as you look at those lower fuel prices, a lot of owner-operators that were driving 60 miles an hour to save money on fuel back when it, you know, cost 4 bucks a gallon, they started thinking it was more important to get where they were going quicker and get to that next load. And so maybe they sped up to 65 or 70 miles an hour. And so those are a couple of reasons that we feel like miles went up last year. I'll give you just some averages for those of you that are in different segments of the industry. Uh, if, you, if you're an independent person, meaning you're that lone ranger out there doing it on your own, uh, those ran an average of 99,318 miles last year. Drive-and folks that were leased to motor carriers ran 116,000 miles reefer carriers, I'm I'm sorry, reefer drivers ran 125,000 miles and flatbed guys did 90,000 miles. So a lot of disparity when you look at the flatbed guys on the low end of 90,000 miles and the reefer guys on the high end of 125,000 miles. That just gives you a little bit of a benchmark based on what segment you're in to kind of compare what you did last year.
0: Well, you know, Todd, you mentioned history a little bit a few seconds ago, but I don't think last year tells the whole story. Remind us a little bit about the trend uh, that we've seen in miles driven over the past 13 or 14 years. Uh, What are some of those factors that affected the miles uh, the drivers were logging out there?
1: Yeah, Lee, you know, once in a while I think it's important for us to to take a step back from looking at this month versus last month or even this year versus last year and kind of look at long-term trends so we can see where trucking's headed and, you know, what's going on. And, and this has really been kind of an amazing thing to think about. If you go back to 2003 when we really started tracking this data, the average owner-operator was running 139,000 miles and when I think of that today and I think about the industry back then you know th- that was back in the days when the average length of haul was 1200 miles uh, when you had to be away from your family five weeks at a time and trucking was just a hardcore get in your truck shut the door and run the miles business that's how you made money when we look at today last year the average owner operator ran 110,000 miles you know when you think about that that's a drop of 29,000 miles which is unbelievable to think about it's 21 percent drop in miles and I know you know for each of you out there many days it doesn't feel like you've dropped your miles you're still running a ton of miles but there's reasons that those miles dropped we've had a couple of hours of service rule changes that have taken effect over the last 14 years that have limited miles Um, you know one of the good things that I believe affected it was back in the mid-2000s we had some rate increases because trucking was good and for the first time really since deregulation in 1980 uh, rates went up in trucking. That got passed down to drivers, and drivers started making more money. And as they started making a little more money, you know, they said, "God, I, you know, I like the more money, but I like even more taking a Saturday off and being home to watch my kids' football game, or you know, being with my family, or or doing that." So they started running a little bit less miles because of those things. Another big trend we've seen over those years is freight regionalization. You know, rather than those 1,200, 1,800-mile lengths of haul that people used to get, there's been a lot more warehouses built. And so people are running 4 or 500 miles today uh, in a load before they, they drop it off. And so that creates, I guess, maybe some less efficiency because you're doing a lot more drop and hook and stopping and those kinds of things. So all those have led to the downward trend of miles, which ultimately I think is a good thing because it's really kind of led to a better lifestyle in a lot of cases for, for drivers and the ability to really, you know, be more of a family person uh, than than he used to be as a truck driver
0: all right so where do you see miles trending over the next few years dad
1: you know uh, we ask ourselves this question often because as we've seen miles come down and as we all know the LD mandate coming at the end of this year you know I, I ask drivers and and we actually have people here at ATBS when we put the pen to the paper you know how many miles could you physically really truly drive if everything went well and you logbook if you did your logbooks legally as you're gonna have to under the ELD mandate and you know my gut instinct tells me that you know you can probably drive somewhere between 100 to 125,000 miles not just my gut instinct but the data and doing the numbers Um, so that's probably we're kinda capped out at 120 to 125,000 miles but if you really look at it you know realistically when we put in this ELD mandate at the end of this year and consider the fact that 50 to 60 percent of the trucks on the road today still haven't put the ELD in you know what it really means is as an industry we're gonna lose 8 to 12 percent of the miles that we run today you know, last year as an industry, I don't know how many billions of miles that trucks ran, but we're going to lose 8 to 12% of that when ELDs become the law of the land at the at the end of this year. The majority of small truck lines and independents have not put in ELDs yet. So once that happens, um, there's going to be this kind of huge vacuum of miles evaporating in the industry. And, and we're going to talk more about some of this stuff in detail, but ultimately that's going to mean good things in trucking because rate, rates are going to have to go up to compensate for those miles going down. So, Lee, I guess what I'd say is for those pioneers and those hired guns driving out of a fleet that already had ELDs, miles have probably leveled off somewhere around 110 to 115,000 miles. For those folks that run long lengths of haul, you know, they're going to probably bottom out around 120 to 125,000 miles. All
0: right, great. Well one of the big stories we saw last year was the continuation of, of relatively low fuel prices. Well, because of that, fuel surcharges obviously stayed depressed versus what we saw a couple years back. So what was the effect of that on revenue per mile?
1: You know, uh, it was a negative effect, and for a lot of folks that don't understand our industry, when you look at the numbers, um, you would think that this is a, a pretty bad story because rate per mile last year averaged a twenty-nine overall for all owner-operators, and that was down 4.4 percent or about six cents a mile. But when you really, you know, understand the details of that, that by and large is simply because the fuel prices came down, which meant fuel, sur- fuel surcharges came down. And what that really meant is that, you know, the lower revenue per mile was offset by lower fuel costs. So it was, it was kind of a net-net. And just to give you some numbers so that you can understand based on the segment that you're in out there, the independent drivers averaged $1.42 per mile the dry van guys leased onto a motor carrier averaged $1.22. The reefer guys averaged $1.17 and the flatbed guys averaged $1.59. So you know in a lot of cases what we often hear at ATBS as we're consulting with our clients and talking to them is you know, they hear their buddy in the truck stop that says, you know, hey, I'm running independent and I'm running flatbed and I'm getting a buck 60 a mile. And hey, when I run that refrigerated freight, I'm only getting a buck 20 a mile. And so they think the grass is greener and, you know, they consider making a career change and getting into one of those other segments. But as we kind of go along, I want you to keep that in your mind because as we talk about miles and, and total revenue, you know, a lot of times those things kind of even out. But, but as an overall, you know, we were down last year in revenue per mile for drivers simply because fuel came down.
0: So if if fuel prices mean a decrease in fuel surcharge, and that's gotta have had effect on gross revenue for drivers, right? Similar to what we saw in 2015. So what happened last year with gross revenue? Did it go up or did did in fact the fuel prices actually net it down a bit?
1: Yeah, it's a good question, Lee, because if we ran a few more miles, but our pay per mile went down a little bit, you know, in the end, what did that mean? And, And overall, what it means is the gross revenue did decline for our average client, it was $142,545 for all clients on average, down 3.5% or down right around $5,000. For those of you in specific segments, the independents averaged $141,000 in revenue last year. The dry van guys averaged $142,000 in revenue, reefer were $147,000, and flatbed were $144,000. So really to kind of tie out what I just said a little bit ago when you think about the rate per mile, when you get to gross revenue, it's really amazing. Those are all within about 5% of each other, somewhere in the $140,000 range. So even though it was down last year, um, you know, most of that was because we had spent less money on fuel.
0: Well, we we keep talking about fuel costs, and it's probably time we we talk about the actual effect of those fuel prices. How much less then, did ATBS drivers or basically the industry pay in fuel expenses compared to 2015?
1: Uh, Lee, it's a it's a really uh, good question, and and most importantly, I think it's good to talk about fuel because I think a lot of drivers get complacent uh, when fuel gets down under 250 a gallon. When it's up around four bucks, everybody's thinking about it and paying attention and trying to save money on it. And when it gets down under 250, you know we're just conditioned at this point to think fuels not that big a deal. But it's still the number one expense most everybody has in their business as an independent contractor. So it's something to really pay attention to. Um, the good news is fuel in 2016 was down 14.9 percent, or six cents per mile, for the average owner-operator. So, um, you know, on average, the average driver spent 35 cents a mile on fuel in 2016. One thing I just want to help everybody think about, because as fuel fluctuates, you really need to pay attention to this. Uh, When it went down last year, that's a good news story because as fuel goes down, it adjusts every single day at the pump price as you're buying your fuel. And so you're getting a lower cost benefit every single day, but fuel surcharges in our industry don't adjust on a real-time basis. In many cases, it's weekly, sometimes it's even monthly. And so your costs are coming down quicker than your revenue comes down when it relates to the fuel surcharge. you know at the end of the day last year that was about a thousand dollar positive cash benefit to drivers because your fuel costs came down quicker even though they were about the same uh, they came down quicker and so you had that thousand dollar cost benefit but I also want you to remember that you need to save that thousand or two thousand dollars because at some point fuel is gonna go back up and the reverse happens it's a it's a cash flow hit because the pump price is adjusting quicker than the fuel surcharge can keep up so just something for you to keep in mind and make sure you've got some reserves for when fuel goes back up
0: All right, so let's see if my math here is right. So you said before that revenue per mile decreased by six cents a mile, and the fuel costs also decreased by six cents a mile, ostensibly giving that back. So shouldn't that mean the drivers were essentially flat on overall net income?
1: Yeah, Lee, really, you know, when you look at kind of those two variables, it does mean that net income should have been flat. And we said earlier that net income was down a bit. So really what you gotta do is think about the other costs of the business, which you know, change every single day and every single month. And and I I guess what I'd say overall is we have a lot of inflation in trucking, just like we do in a lot of costs in America these days. Um, And a couple of things I want to talk specifically about are really truck related. So we'll start off by talking about maintenance. We have seen an uptrend in maintenance really for the last 14 years. It used to be that we told our drivers you could set aside about seven cents a mile to maintain your truck. And that would take care of, you know, those major expenses that come your way and buy you new tires and those kinds of things. Really, in the last year or two, we've kind of upped that number to the 10 to $0.12 per mile range. And there's a few reasons that's happened, but the single biggest reason is these new EPA mandates on trucks and the complication of trucks and all the electronics, they make them more expensive to maintain. You know, it used to be you could pull into the shop with... a you know, average truck problem and spend $500, $600. Today, you can pull in with a check engine light and it can cost you six grand. And so uh, maintenance costs have gone up significantly. The good news is, you know, it really appears kind of after the 2014 model truck, like we've gotten a lot of those bugs and issues and, you know, kind of a lot of that stuff that was put on the trucks to meet the EPA mandates worked out. And it really feels like we've leveled off and we're even starting to come down with some of those newer trucks kind of post 2014. Um, Another, you know, huge cost that has happened, uh, I guess, really without us uh, knowing it, because a lot of owner-operators run used trucks, and, and so we're not impacted by the huge escalation of new truck prices until we get them into the owner-operator population four or five years later. So as we've looked at, you know, over the last three or four years, the price of a used truck, the average owner-operator uh, used to pay, a few years ago, $1,700 a month for his truck. Today, they're paying over $2,300 for that truck on a monthly basis. So when you think about that, you know, that's an increase of $600 or almost $7,000 per year. $600 a month, $7,000 per year. We have not had the rate increases in the industry to compensate for more expensive truck payments. And so, you know, really, as an independent contractor, what you've got to do is look to your business and figure out how you're going to solve that problem with those higher priced trucks and you know really i think what we're finding as an industry is these newer trucks you know they knew there was going to have to be a way to offset the cost of a more expensive truck and and so i'll just give you a couple of numbers i think he, as you're thinking about buying a new truck or a newer used truck than what you've got if you're going to step up to a higher payment you've got to make it pay for itself somehow and and so if you think you're going to you know spend another another $7000 a year by getting a newer truck you can offset that by increased miles per gallon. We see some of these newer trucks getting well over eight miles per gallon if they're driven right and you do the right things to get fuel economy. You know, in fact, we all know and read about a guy named Henry Albert who gets often well over 10 to 11 miles per gallon in his truck. But I tell you, you know, the kind of 2008, 2009, 10 model trucks that you're getting six, six and a half miles per gallon in, when you get up into those 2013, 2014 trucks, you gotta be shooting for eight miles per gallon. If you can get a half to one mile per gallon, you know, better in your truck, that's going to save you five to $10,000. That's going to offset that new truck payment. On the flip side, you know, you got to make sure you're getting a good truck. So when you buy that used new truck, new used truck, you know, do some research on it and maybe pull some data and kind of understand how it was driven and what kind of fuel economy it got. And you really want to understand what you're going to pay for maintenance because you want to get back down to that nine or 10 cents a mile, not that 12 cents a mile if you've got a used truck that, you know, has a million miles on it. So so really got to look to offset that increased truck price with lower maintenance and, and better fuel economy.
0: So lots of inputs. Um, so we keep talking about how independent contractors were kind of stuck in neutral last year. So let's talk about the bottom line. What was the average net income then for all our clients and and owner operators in general. How did it break down by segment?
1: You know, Lee, that's uh, that's a huge, huge important question because we really um, nothing else matters when you look at all these numbers. At the end of the day, if you didn't make enough money to pay your bills, and so you know, net income. I I'd like to, I, I don't like to say was a negative number last year, and it went down. Um, we when we did this call last year, I was really excited because for the first time since we've been tracking data, the owner-operator average broke $60,000 and got to $61,000 in 2015. So it was fantastic to see that owner-operators kind of broke that barrier, and we're doing really well. So we took a step backwards in 2016. The average owner-operator net income went down by $1,499, or 2.5%. And the average owner-operator made $59,669, so just under 60 grand. And so the one thing I wanna to say to the folks on the line is, You know, um, even though it hurts to lose some of your net income, on the flip side, I think you need to be really proud of that because if you look at trucking as a whole last year in a tough year and you look at some of the public companies that report, net incomes were off anywhere from 25 to 50 percent or more. And so when you think about, you know, those big truck lines that manage their businesses and they lost 25 percent of their net income. The fact that you as owner operators made adjustments, you ran more miles, you watched your costs, you did what you needed to do, you know, you only lost two and a half percent of your net income. And I say only, I know it's painful. You lost $1,500, you know, that's $1,500 you didn't have to spend on things that you needed to, but but again, I think you did a great job managing your net income in a really difficult year. We, we really saw the dry and the reefer guys have kind of a flat year. There really wasn't a big change. If you were leased to a motor carrier and dry and, and reefer, you did okay, where we really saw the big drops We're in flatbed, which was really difficult last year. And also the independent folks. You know, those independent folks are out there running on load boards and when you have a soft year, loads evaporate and you know, those brokers and shippers, they really hammer that kind of small trucker out there. That's just that's that's the way the industry works and so we really saw net income down go down for the flatbed and the the independent guys last year. All right, so let's
0: let's take a look at the long-term here. So we, we've got an independent contractor value proposition chart, we call it, and it shows really over the past 14 years since you started tracking this data, number of miles driven has broadly decreased. We talked about that, yet total income's gone up. I hope that's a pretty attractive statistic for bringing new drivers into the industry, don't you think?
1: Yeah, you know, Lee, I think it's a, a important, again, as you said, to kind of look at the long-term trends. We often get asked by people that are suppliers and vendors and, you know, people that write about our industry, you know, the owner-operator is a dying breed, they can't make it anymore, the industry's gotten too tough, the economics don't work for them, and, and this really tells the opposite story of that. When you look at the long-term trend and, and you kind of think about the numbers we've already talked about, drivers have gone from driving 139,000 miles to 110,000 miles, so there's been a 21% reduction in miles and, and really an improved quality of life versus what it was 15 years ago. On the flip side, back in 2003, the average driver or operator made $47,000 in net income. And we just said, you know, this year they're right at $60,000, so there's been a 28% pay increase. So, I know there's a lot of days out there in your business where it doesn't feel like you're wake, me, what, like you're working less and you're making more money, but you know, the data is the data and the long-term trends point super positive to you know, the economics for owner-operators, and I think they're only going to get better. We're, we're going to get a, in a little bit to, you know, what we think is going to happen over the next few years, but um, when we look at the long-term, things are doing awesome. So, I, you know, when you have a tough year like 2016, it's easy to get your chin down and, and think some days, why am I doing this, you know, why did I ever choose to be an independent, and why did I even choose to be in trucking? But, you know, again, the long-term trends are good for truckers, independent truckers.
0: and That's great to hear. Well, you know I'm going to ask you about your predictions for 2017, but before we do that, can you talk a little more about the benchmark group, you know, what we've got in terms of a data set out there and what's included in it?
1: Yeah, Lee, I think uh, this is something that I really like to talk about, especially considering the fact that we talked about, you know, pioneers and hired guns. About two-thirds of the independent contractors out there are contracted with a motor carrier. And, you know, we realized early on as we did business with independent contractors, and we have a lot of partnerships, we work with a couple hundred motor carriers out there in conjunction with their owner-operators, and as we started looking at our data and realizing, you know, the great things we were doing, helping contractors benchmark their data against their peers so they could know where they could do better or worse, what we realized is we could also help the industry and specifically the motor carriers that these independent contractors are driving for, if we could take this data and help people understand. And you know, our core belief at ATBS is that an independent contractor, given the right environment and right circumstances, they can make money. That's why they're independent. They control their own future and their own destiny and their own costs. But if they get into a crappy program that's not fair for them with a motor carrier, there's almost no way to succeed. So at ATBS, you know, we choose purposely not to do business with motor carriers that don't offer a good opportunity to drivers, but those motor carriers that we do choose to work with, we do so for a reason, because we believe the driver can make a good living there. And so we take this data and we accumulate it all. And the really neat thing about it is we can compare, just like we do drivers against their peers, we can compare carriers against each other. And you know, so on a regular basis, and especially this time of year when we've got annual data put together, uh, we work with motor carriers. In fact, we had a webinar last week where we had a few hundred people on the line with a lot of motor carriers talking about this data. And really what our goal is, is to help the carriers understand what a fair program is for the owner-operators. It doesn't mean you have to have the highest pay per mile. It doesn't mean you have to have the biggest fuel discount. It doesn't mean you have to have the lowest negotiated labor rate and parts discount. What it means is overall you need to have a fair program that a driver can make money when they contract with you. And so we go through all the specifics of that data with each of those motor carriers and help them understand where they have a fair program. And you know, they might have a brand new truck lease purchase program that might have trucks that cost twenty seven hundred dollars, which seem crazy when the average owner operator is paying twenty three hundred, but at the same time their maintenance cost might be three or four cents a mile. They might have a great fuel bulk discount purchasing program that helps reduce the cost for the drivers but as a result they might pay a couple cents less than the average driver average carrier per mile so again taking this data and really looking at the averages I can tell you we have a lot of motor carriers every single year that make tweaks to their program because they want to be sure that they're being fair to the driver that they can make a good living if they manage their business so so that's how we use the data beyond just with the independent contractor Lee
0: All right. so time to put you on the spot you got a couple months under your belt, so things are starting to become a little more clear for 2017. Can you talk a little bit about what you see happening with miles and net income? And then more importantly, how will the adoption of ELDs affect the industry? More importantly, how will they affect the folks on the call today?
1: Well, that was a loaded and big question. So uh, I'll take it a piece at a time. And and uh, there's a lot of important information that I want to talk about in here. so the first thing that i want to say is i want everybody on the call to get really excited and the reason i want you to get excited is because of elds and and so we may have just lost half of the people on the call because half of you probably don't have elds and when you tell i tell you i want you to get excited about that you're probably saying todd what in the hell are you talking about but elds overall are going to mean great things for you ultimately you just have to get from here to there so let me kind of talk through that We've already said a little bit that ELDs are going to eliminate 8 to 12 percent of the miles available to run in overall trucking and that's a big deal that's going to happen you know the OIDA lawsuit was lost and it's not going to get appealed pretty sure you know Donald Trump's not going to override the ELD mandate it's the law of the land and it's going to happen at the end of this year once that takes the ability to run miles out of our industry Ultimately, what that means is there's going to be more freight than there's going to be trucks to haul freight, and rates are going to have to go up. And it's going to feel like 2006 and 2014, and for those of you that were trucking back in those days, those were really, really good years, and that's what it's going to feel like. But we got to get from here to there. So, you know, ultimately from the big picture, things are great. But what we really got to think about is what does that mean to every individual on this phone? Because there are folks on the phone that have been running ELDs for a few years, maybe they just put them on in the last year, and there's plenty of folks on the phone that haven't put ELDs on yet. So what does that mean to you individually? And, you know, I guess what I'd say is The pioneers and the lone rangers probably have predominantly already experienced ELDs and put them on. If you're leased to any decent sized fleet, they've seen this coming and they've forced you to put ELDs on and you've realized it made us run less miles. But what happened at those fleets as they put on ELDs is they realized when they were running less miles, it impacted their bottom line and that couldn't happen for very long. So they made adjustments and they used those ELDs, you know, to do things that would help them. And they got more efficient, they started charging shippers more money that were wasting their time, they started relaying loads. And you know, within about 12 to 18 months, those ELDs became good for those fleets and the drivers that drove there because ultimately they figured out how to make money using them. But for the 40 to 50% of the industry that's still out there that hasn't put on ELDs, you haven't done it for a reason. And the reason is because that's your competitive advantage. Being able to run you know, 125 to 130,000 miles a year is how you make money. And so when you put in an ELD, um, you know, your world changes. And, and so I want you all to think about that. Those of you that are on the phone and haven't put it in an ELD yet, because uh, as as Lee asked, what does this specifically mean to you? And the way we look at it, you know, you have a few options. When December comes and you've got to make that decision about an ELD because it becomes the law, you know, there's a few things you can do. Number one, you can ignore it or you can leave the industry. There's plenty of people that say, you know, we're going to lose 5 to 10% of the drivers out there. because. You know, there's a lot of old timers that say I'm just not going to operate in that environment. I like doing things my way and I'm not going to have somebody tell me electronically how I keep my logbooks. I'm just going to get out. I don't really believe that because I believe folks that are in trucking are in it for a reason. It's how they know how to make a living and it's how they love to make a living. So I don't think we're going to see a mass exodus of drivers. So You know, the number one realistic choice that you can make is to not comply with the ELD mandate. You stay in trucking and you say, I'm just not going to comply. Maybe I'll you know, get the app on my phone and and I'll say I've got the ELD, but I'm just really not going to do it the right way. And probably the biggest question, it's it's undisputed at the moment that the ELD is going to take about 10% of the miles run off the road, but the question is how long is that going to take? Is it going to happen in a month? Is it going to happen in a year? Is it going to happen in two years? And the only thing we can do is look at history and kind of think about CSA, you know, 2010 when it was implemented. So so when you think about the ELD mandate in December and if I'm a driver that says I'm just not going to comply, you know, are the odds of you getting shut down in January of 2018 by a state patrolman and having them impound your truck and say you're out of business because you don't meet the ELD mandate, you know, the odds of that happening are about 0. They're not going to take your business away from you, but in all likelihood what's really going to happen is They're going to write you up for a log violation because you're not meeting legal log requirements and so if they do that a few times during january and during february when you get pulled over and go through a dot inspection or a port or whatever as you know your csa score starts to be impacted as a driver and so what happens is if you're a lone ranger out there your insurance company's monitoring your csa score and at some point they're going to say we're not going to insure you anymore your csa score is too high the shippers and the brokers out there also monitor your CSA score and they're going to say, you know, you've got a lot of log violations. We can't afford to ship by you anymore because you're not safe. And if you get in an accident, we're going to wind up getting sued. And so ultimately, those log violations are going to put you out of business. And worse than that, you know, maybe your, your only fallback is to lease onto a motor carrier that's figured out this ELD thing, but if you get too many of those log violations, your CSA score is going to be bad enough that you're not even going to have that fallback. So you can't even go back to being a company driver because it's tied to your CDL. So essentially it's going to put you out of business. So, you know, my opinion is number one is not an option. Not complying with the ELD mandate just isn't going to work. And I think it's going to, you know, be that way really pretty quickly starting in January. So, you know, what's my second option? Um, You know, a lot of you on the phone that are lone rangers aren't going to like carrying this, but my second option is potentially to lease on with a motor carrier. Because a lot of motor carriers have figured out this ELD thing, and they figured out how to be more efficient. And I know for those of you that are lone rangers, and even a lot of hired guns, you chose to be independent for a reason. You don't want someone telling you what to do, and where to go, and how to do it. And so, you know, that's unacceptable. But what I want you to think about is. Maybe it needs to be a short-term option because it's going to take a while for this impact to increase rates in our industry. It's for sure not going to happen by this time next year. Maybe we'll see some of it, but maybe by next summer things are going to get good, maybe by the end of the year. But it could take as long as two years. We just don't know that answer. It depends on the economy. depends on enforcement and all those kinds of things. So you've got to have a plan, which is probably more important than anything. Um, So again, I want you just to think about as we say some of you are going to take that choice. So as we say fragmented capacity is going to start to consolidate, that's the reason for it. Um, Number three, I guess what I'd say is if you are stubborn, not just stubborn, but you're independent, you want to do things your own way, and you say, you know, I'm going to figure this out, I'm going to put in my ELD, and I'm going to make it happen, I don't want you just to think that come December I'm going to get an ELD, and I'm going to figure out how to be compliant, and I've always made it work, so I'm going to continue to make it work. I think you need to start thinking today about what is my plan? How am I gonna get through this and how am I gonna make it happen? It's, it's a given. As you know, if you're running three logbooks today and you're running you know, 10 or 15 or 20,000 miles more than you should, or even if you're running just under the flexibility that multiple logbooks give you so that you can take time off. I mean, the, the bad news is I heard one of the best descriptions I've ever heard of the ELD and what it really does to you is it's like an hourglass. Today, when you have paper logs, you got a stopwatch. You can start and stop that log book whenever you want, and you can do what you want when you want. When you get that ELD, it's an hourglass. You turn it over, you've got 11 hours to drive, period. That hourglass doesn't change. Your 11 hours run out, it runs out. So a lot of your flexibility goes away. So you need to have a plan for how your life's going to change come December of this year. You know, if you're going to lose 10 to 15,000 miles, that equates to maybe $20,000 in revenue. That's going to be offset somewhat by the variable cost. You're not going to spend the money on fuel and tires, but you know net profit's going to go away. And so maybe you need to think about trying to double up on truck payments and see if you can get your truck paid off, so you don't have that burden coming into this year, and you've got the flexibility to get through. How can you save money on some of your other costs? It's going to be a transition, and I talk about all those things because really, what I want you to figure out is how you're going to get through the next year because if you do get through the next year in the way that you want to things are going to be really really good after that so man I gave a long-winded answer Lee but you asked me a big question so hopefully hopefully that was uh, answer to your question
0: well you, you jumped into the L.D.s, but I'm, I'm not going to let you go on the on the annual prediction so what do you think is going to happen in 2017
1: Well, you know, I like sticking with four predictions because when I bat 400, then I can only, I only have to get two right. If I do more, my odds of batting two or 300 are are a lot better. So I'm going to stick with four predictions. Uh, The first prediction I'm going to make is that ELDs are going to be implemented and it's going to take 8 to 12 percent of the miles that truck, trucking in general, runs off the road. That's going to happen in 2018. The one thing I know is that there's not going to be a lot of ELDs put on between now and the end of the year, so it's really not going to happen until the end of the year and into into 2018. The second prediction I'm going to make, we've already talked about a little bit, that's going to force rates up at least 10%. You know, I'm not going to hold myself to a time frame because we did that before. We said by 2017, and and there's a lot of things that go into that. Um, so, you know, it could be by mid 2018, it could be by the end of 2018. Rates are gonna go up by 10%, we believe it. We're just not sure what time, but it's gonna start happening in 2018. Uh, When we talk about net income and we make a prediction on net income, I think it's gonna remain relatively flat through at least the summer months of this year. I think we're gonna start to see it go up when we get towards the end of this year. I really feel like freight's picking up and things are gonna get better. We did a survey last week of all the carriers we had on the line, and we asked if they're going to give out a rate increase to the contractors that contract with them. And we saw a swing from last year. We saw a bigger percentage that said they're going to give out a rate increase. You know, they weren't huge rate increases. They weren't 10% rate increases, but they were two to five percent rate increases. And a larger number of fleets said that. So I think net income is going to go up. You know, by the end of the year, and uh, things are going to get better. Uh, my last prediction I'm going to make, you're going to have to ask me about it in a few years, but it's the prediction is that I believe 2018 to 2020 is going to be the longest, best run for truckers that we've had since deregulation in 1980. I think it's going to be a really, really good time to be an independent contractor and be in trucking.
0: That's really encouraging. Thanks so much, Todd. Hey, if any of you on the phone need uh, help with your business or have questions about things we talked about, give us a call. Now, if you're a client, talk to your business consultant. Um, if you're not a client, go to our website, atbs.com or give us a call at 866-920-2827. Um, and I think that about wraps up our call. So on behalf of Todd and I and everybody here at ATBS, thanks so much for giving us your time today. We hope to speak with each of you and help each of you be more successful soon. So drive safe, everybody. Thanks so much for being here today.